The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. Here we go, church.
Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Good morning. <clears throat> I want to talk this morning about some traditions. And traditions are something that, you know, we all have. I mean, we had one just this week, you know, February 2nd. It's a tradition in this country. Well, I finally found out what it meant this year. 
Dennis, can you put that up? So I'd kind of targeted Don with that, but he backed out on me, so Franklin took the hit on that one today. <clears throat> but seriously, we all have our traditions, and they're not bad. You know, when we, when we, when we come to church, I mean, how many of us are sitting in our assigned seats this morning? <laughs> Sometimes we do that because it's comfortable, right? What about when we teach our kids to pray? Now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's a nice little rhyme. We're teaching them to pray and it's a tradition. What we've got to be very careful of is that our traditions don't take over. Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 6. Jesus replied, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Now, I have to speak personally. I, I am guilty of quoting First Traditiononians 126. It says, you know, thou shalt have one prayer, then the welcome, then two prayers, then the greeting, we get comfortable with that, and we think that's how it has to be. But we're missing the whole point. You know, this morning we were listening to the rebroadcast of Don's sermon about prayer when he's talking about being bold. And it's, it's something, you know, he, he talked about stepping out. Don't just, don't just pray to be comfortable. I mean... We've all heard prayers, you know, Lord, we just pray thy will be done. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But what did we just do? We did absolutely nothing, but we made ourselves feel good about it. Be bold. You know, a challenge for every one of us. You've heard the, we're doing the 31-day prayer challenge. Well, let's take it a step further. Pick one person out. And pray for that person for 31 days, nonstop. Don't tell them. Just sit back and watch. Let God work, but be a part of it. You know, we get comfortable in our own little world, and we smile, and we ask how everybody is, when we could be doing so much more. <clears throat> you know, Don covered it beautifully, the intro when he talked about the Lord's Supper. That, that's the reason we're here. Please don't let this become a tradition because it means so much more than that. This is the remembrance of our salvation. It means everything. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the chance to come before you as a family, to worship you, to sing praises to you, and to thank you for the beautiful gift of redemption that you gave to us through Jesus' death and sacrifice for us when we were yet sinners. Father, open our hearts, soften us, Remind us how much we are loved that you did this for us. Please never, let us never take this lightly, but to be truly grateful and thankful and worship you for such a wonderful gift of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Have you ever wanted to uh, disappear? I feel like I've shared this story before, but it's definitely worth uh, repeating. <clears throat> it was a trip of a lifetime. Uh, we were heading to uh, Japan to uh, visit some friends, the Simmons family, who were stationed here at Cannon Air Force Base for a time, and, and then they moved to uh, Okinawa and were stationed there. Clint, you're going to have to bring me down a little bit, brother. And Japan is always a level up, 100%. You see that in, in, in the background there. That's a trampoline pad on top of, of that playground right there. That's not just like some canvas big top. No, you can actually jump on it. But I, I'm getting ahead of myself. So Carrie uh, Simmons had briefed us on some of the culture, some of the things to do and not do while you're in Japan. For example, did you know that you're not supposed to stick your chopsticks into the bowl, like standing straight up? No, it reminds them of funerals, and it's supposed to bring bad luck. Don't do that. You set them on top of the bowl, laying on top of the bowl. Another thing is you bow. Bowing's really big in Japan. And so one of the things that you do is you put your hands to your sides, and you bow low. And the lower the bow, the longer the bow is held the more respect. Don't bow like this. If you bow like this, it's like challenging somebody to a fight, right? So uh, I'm practicing all these things. I'm, I'm kind of memorizing the culture. And at any point, uh, I'm trying to get it wrong, right? So I'm sticking the chopsticks in the wrong way. You know, anything for a laugh with me sometimes. Uh, but back to uh, the playground. Uh, we get to this playground, and I want to be the cool uncle. And so I want to get on top of that trampoline pad, and I want to jump with the kids, right? And, and so I start my way up, and I, there's like rope netting for the floors. And I, and I start to put my weight on it, and it feels like it's given a little bit, right? I don't really know why, but by the grace of God, I continue, right? And so I'm, I'm weaving myself up this series of, of, of netted uh, rope and, and ladders, right? And the ladders are really tiny. I'm like, how is an adult supposed to get up here? I mean, I'm fun-sized. I'm able to get through, but most adults would not. I, I kept going, right? And, and so I finally get up to the top. I look at this beautiful view, and, and I start to step onto the trampoline pad. Now, mind you, I'm not wearing shoes. I'm nothing if not a rule follower, right? I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to make sure my shoes are off. I'm getting ready to step on the trampoline pad. I actually step on it, and out of the corner of my eye, I, I see this elderly Japanese man, and I'm pretty sure he's the caretaker of the playground. He's shaking his head at me, and I know, you know, I'm saying, you know, I, I know you're impressed, man. Like, not everybody can get up here, but I'm in pretty good physical shape, so here I am, right? And, and so I wave to him. Now, I mean, you know, I don't know what else to do there, and I'm just like, hey, how's it going? You know, it's international, right? So the guy starts looking at me and shaking his head, like, violently. And he's pointing over to the sign. Now, it's written in Japanese. I don't understand Japanese. But thankfully, it's pictures that I can't understand. And I realized that adults aren't supposed to be on this trampoline pad. And the reason why I've managed to get up here is because I'm small. It's, it's made for kids, right? Now, back in the day, if my name was ever called for the principal's office, I always thought I was in trouble. So this is worst case scenario for me. I don't ever want to be in trouble have you ever wanted to disappear right and so i'm standing on the trampoline pad and i want to tell this guy i'm sorry i mean i just may a culpa right please forgive me so immediately it comes to my mouth i got a bow i got a bow so i do i do like like this <laughs> so i'm essentially challenging the japanese elderly caretaker to a kung fu fight have you ever wanted to disappear. Well, we're going to talk about uh, a guy that wanted to disappear this morning. But before we get there, I want to look at this quote from last week. It's really been sitting with me. What we fear most often reveals where we trust God the least. Let me give you an example. I fear failure so much so that I don't do things on purpose that I know that I might fail at. 
I stay in my lane. And so I fear failure, so I refuse to give that to God, and instead I make sure that I do things that are in my scope, right? I don't take chances, I don't take risks. Maybe for you, you, you fear your family getting hurt, right? So, so much so that you keep your family close to you, or, or maybe it's struggles and circumstances. You try to grab control, right? You, you go see all the doctors you can, you, you get on the websites and get all the information you can. What we fear most often reveals where we trust God the least. But we're going to be in 1 Kings today, and we're going to kind of look at fear in a different way. So 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 13 is where we will be as we start this morning. We're going to be in three different verses, passages of Scripture this morning, so we better get started if we're going to be done by 3 p.m. So I'm kidding, we'll be done by noon. So we're starting in in verse 11. And he said, this is the voice of the Lord speaking. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So let's get some backstory. Uh, Verse 3 will kind of give us insight. Elijah is actually on the run. Um, This is his frame of mind. I love the way the NIV says it. Very vivid. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This guy was completely terrified, completely gripped with fear. He is overwhelmed at the situation. And here's why. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, had vowed on her life, not on her little gods, on her life personally, that she would see to Elijah's death, his slaughter, his execution. She wanted him to pay for what he had done. And so Elijah ran in terror. In Elijah's eyes, he, he did all that he could do for the Lord, and it, it didn't seem to make any difference at all. It's funny, at the beginning of chapter 19, he runs for his life. And just a few verses later, he asks God to take it. This guy is a mess. He's all over the place. Are you running for your life or from it? I'm going to ask a series of questions today. This is the second one. Running for your life means um, running to keep yourself safe to fight another day, right? Running for your life is, is protection, protecting those that you love. Running for your life, you know, my, my daughter, our daughter is an EMT. She, she runs to the fight, right? She runs to serve others. This is an example of running for your life. Running from it? Oh, that's a whole different thing entirely. I ran from my life for plenty of years. You can't outrun your calling. And God meets Elijah on Mount Oreb. He actually leads him there. And God asks Elijah a question. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Another way to say it is, why are you here and not where you're supposed to be? And Elijah doesn't answer that question. He states his case. I think if the Lord asks us a direct question, we should at least answer the question, right? Don't try to build your case. Don't try to explain anything away. Just answer the question. But Elijah doesn't. He states his case not once, but twice. He says the same thing verbatim each time. And he finishes it with this. I am the only one left. Everyone else is gone. All of those that believed in you, those that were with me in the beginning, no one. It's just me. And maybe Elijah is looking 
for divine intervention. Maybe he's asking for some sort of sign from heaven. Maybe he's just praying for another miracle. But the spectacular is not God's only way of working. And I say that because we pray for a sign from heaven, right? Think about all those near misses, right? If there would have just been a sign to tell me which way to go or not to go there, that would have made things a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? We, we pray for that sign from heaven. We pray for a, a miraculous, a divine intervention in our lives. Please, Lord, follow through. Come through for us. We need healing. We need insert the blank. And we, we pray for those big, grandiose things, but... On the daily, that's not what we need. On the daily, we need a quiet assurance that Jesus is near. We need a quiet assurance that God never leaves us nor forsakes us, that he is with us always. It says, and a great and powerful wind tore through the rocks. Now, Hollywood has some pretty huge and massive budgets, but this CGI doesn't hold a candle to what Elijah has seen before his very eyes. Can you imagine The wind tearing through rocks, completely shattering them before Elijah. And then the earthquake shaking the very ground that he's on. But the Lord's not in either one of those. And then a fire, an all-consuming fire. And I wonder, maybe, just maybe, Elijah felt the heat from that blaze. But the Lord wasn't in the fire either. It wasn't until that gentle whisper that Elijah wrapped his face in his cloak because he knew he was in the presence of the Lord. He finally did what the Lord asked him. And he stood at the entrance of the cave. A gentle whisper literally in the Hebrew means a sound of soft stillness, a, a thin silence. Have you ever been out on a hike miles from nowhere? Have you ever gone out in the middle of nowhere? Pretty much anywhere around here is the middle of nowhere, right? And and so you turn off your phones, your devices, your vehicle, and you just sit there. And you listen, and that silence is, is almost deafening. It's palpable. Have you ever wanted to disappear? Let someone else run with the ball, Jesus. Not me. I'm a dumpster fire right now. Ask me again when I've got everything together. Check in with me later. Look, Lord, I'm not some super Christian with a sticker and a cookie. I'm a mess. I'm damaged goods. My my, my calling, those things that you said about me, They were called out a long time ago. And the Lord asks Elijah, and he's asking you today, what are you doing here? Where are you supposed to be? What things are you supposed to be setting your hands to? What are the things that you should be doing for our Lord? You know what they are, but for whatever reason, you're running from it just a little bit. You feel like maybe you're not worthy. But here's the thing. Your defeat does not define you. It does not define you. Your defeat is just a moment in time. What you do next defines you, right? Which way you move, which direction you're moving into. Those, those bad choices, those missteps, those poor decisions, those trials, those struggles, that heartache, that does not define you. But what comes next does. Do we listen to the still, small whisper? So turn with me to 1 Kings 18, 41 through 45, as we look at Elijah in a different light. First Kings eighteen forty one through forty five. And my header says, 
the Lord sends rain. Spoiler alert, I'm assuming the Lord's going to send rain in this passage. So here we go. 1 Kings 18, starting at verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing And Elijah said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, this being the servant, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And Elijah says, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And verse 45, and in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. So we start with Elijah running from Jezebel, right? And we know that he's running, but why is he running? So stick with me for the Cliff Notes version of this. Some of you youngsters don't have any idea what Cliff Notes are because you have Google. But it's kind of the same thing. We're just going to go fast, okay? So chapter 17, Elijah comes up and he tells King Ahab that there's not going to be any rain. There's going to be rain. uh, You're not going to see any rain for a period of time until I come back and tell you that rain will come. This is what he says to King Ahab, and then he goes into hiding. So a couple of miracles later, and these miracles are pretty amazing and extraordinary. I would encourage you to read about these miracles. A couple of miracles later, the Lord tells Elijah to go back to the king and tell him that God's going to send rain. Now, this is three years and six months, give or take, but there's no rain. He actually comes up and and he meets with Ahab and there's this interchange, but no rain is falling at this point. And so did God get it wrong? I mean, did he lie? What's going on? Maybe maybe the scripture is just kind of vague and and things are out of out of out of sequence. So so what happens? The, the Ahab comes to um, find Elijah. And Obadiah, Ahab, Ahab's servant, brings Elijah into the room. And the minute Ahab, King Ahab, sees Elijah, he calls him a troubler of Israel. You see, King Ahab has, has, has blamed this entire thing on Elijah. He said, if you hadn't spoke and said the rain wasn't coming, then right now we would have rain. It's all your fault, Elijah. Just say the word. But it's actually not Elijah's fault. You see, King Ahab and his family have abandoned God in favor for little gods. Most prominently, the god Baal, Baal, we have heard. And this god, little g, is actually the god of fertility and rain. Can you imagine that? Rain. And so Ahab has, has abandoned his big G God, and he's He's starting to pray to this little G, God, Baal. And he's praying and praying and praying, and there's no rain. There's no water anywhere. Can't get anything to happen. So this cues the showdown, right, that we know of on the top of Mount Carmel with Elijah and his mighty God in this corner and the 450 prophets of Baal in this corner. And it's amazing, and and if you haven't read it in a while, I would encourage you to revisit it. Elijah is throwing some pretty major shade to King Ahab and to the prophets. He says things like, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe your little God can't hear you. Maybe you just have to scream louder, right? Maybe you have to cut yourself more for them to hear you. And, And the best one, he says, maybe he's going to the bathroom. I mean, maybe, right? So Elijah's having a good time, and finally the prophets are done. They've done all they can do and still no water from the sky, nothing. And Elijah says, bring some water up and pour it around the sacrifice. And then Elijah says, bring some more water up and pour it all over the sacrifice. Completely drench it. 
And then Elijah prays. And God consumes the sacrifice completely. We're all ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. You see, after it's abundantly clear that their little G God could do nothing about it, Elijah comes up to tell Ahab, you better go and eat because there is the sound of the rushing of rain. And Elijah is sure that rain is coming. And Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he bends down to the ground and he says to his servant, Go now and look towards the sea. And the servant goes and he comes back. And the servant says, there is nothing. And Elijah says, go and look again. And the servant comes back the second time and says, there is nothing. He says, Go and look again. The third, the fourth time he comes back. And, and if you've had kids, you, you can empathize with me, right? Have you ever asked your kid to go and look for something for you, right? And they go and look and they come back and they say, well, I didn't see it. Well, I'm pretty sure I know exactly where it is, right? I'm going to go look and I'm going to go make sure that I can't find what I'm looking for. And, and I wonder if this stuff is going through Elijah's mind as he sends him away. And he comes back a fifth time and he says, there is nothing. Now, Elijah only knows that there is rain coming. Elijah doesn't know how many times the servant has to go back and check. And he sends him because he hears the sound of the rushing of rain. He knows that rain is coming. And the servant comes back the sixth time and says, there is nothing. And Elijah may have been tempted, we don't know, to raise his head. Just to look a little bit toward the sea. Is there anything? Did I hear wrong? I thought there was supposed to be rain. And scripture doesn't tell us what his mindset was. It just says that he said, go look again. But he didn't say, go look the last time. He didn't say, go look the seventh time and this is going to be the one. You're going to see the cloud. It's like all the others. And the servant comes back and says, I see a cloud. It's not much. It's like a guy's fist coming out of the sea. I don't know if any rain's coming from it. It's the best I can do, Elijah. And Elijah says, Go and tell him he better leave now or he's not going to get off this mountain. Our faith is not blind, it's tested. And I say that because as Christians, we have seen God working in our hearts over and over again. We have seen His transforming power at work. Hindsight is always 2020. We've seen those near misses, right? We almost go this way, but instead we turn back and we head this way. And the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and we've seen miracles and we've seen answered prayers. And our, our faith isn't blind. We're not just grasping at straws here. It's tested. It's battle forged. And we know that because of our prayers. And we look at Bible greats and we say, I'll never be able to pray like that. And we look at, at friends and, and we say, I'll never be able to have faith like that. And I can't get the image out of my mind of Elijah bowed low to the ground and never raising his head. 
He was so sure that rain was coming. Elijah isn't hoping that things are going to turn out. If you just looked at his life, you would see all of the ways that God has intervened, that God has made himself known. He serves a God of goodness and miracles. And you do too. This is my testimony from death to life. We sing this song, and and you can't argue with a person's testimony. We've said that before. The transformative power at work and alive in a person's heart. And and to me, that's kind of the proof of the existence of God. It's not the, the, the creation that He is... He has put forth before us. It's not the miracles that happen in our midst. It's, it's, it's the way He takes people, broken as they are, and uses them in His kingdom. My testimony, seeing one of my dear friends sitting in the back of the church, listening to me preach, knowing all that I've done, And maybe you have a similar testimony like that. Maybe that's your testimony. Maybe you're running from your life for a very, very long time. And let me encourage you right now, stop running for, from your life. Run for it, right? Run toward God. Or maybe, maybe you're in a different spot in your life. Maybe it's the silent prayer. Maybe you're praying to God and you know that rain is coming. You know that you know that you know. And I just want to encourage you, keep praying. There's one more verse I want to share with you, James. Um, it's in the book of James, James chapter 5. And it starts out this way, Elijah with a nature like ours. And I love the book of James. Uh, it's, been, it's been said to be uh, New Testament Proverbs. And, and I've read it several times. It's probably one of the books that I've read the most in the Bible. Maybe because it's only five chapters, but it's really, really good. And so James speaks about Elijah in chapter 5, and he starts out this verse, and it says, Elijah with a nature like ours. And I immediately think, yeah, he ran. He was terrified, he was overwhelmed. He saw a miracle from God and it still wasn't enough. He wasn't sure if God was going to come through. And he took off. Yeah, I mean, that's it's my nature too. I'm bracing myself for the verse. But turn with me to James five seventeen through 18, please, as we read. And verse 17 starts this way. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Read about the pillars in the Bible. Read about Peter and and Paul and Elijah and Moses and, and, and just bask in their boldness, the way that they were on fire for the Lord. Cheer on those prayer warriors next to you. Those people that if you have a prayer request, they're the first person you reach on speed dial. You're hitting them up quickly. I need my prayer warriors. Cheer them on 100%. But don't elevate those around you while minimizing your testimony or your faith. Don't do it. Don't elevate those around you while minimizing your testimony or your faith. You see... We all have something that God has called us to. We all have those things that God has put inside of us. 
So here's the challenge. Here's the call. Don't read uh, in the Bible and say, that's not me. Don't, don't say, well, I could never do those things. I could never be on the stage. I could never make a difference. I could never share my faith. That's not me. Don't go through the entire sermon series on prayer and say, wow, those are some really eloquent people that pray. I really wish I could pray like that. I really wish I could have faith like that. As the team comes up, don't compare your beginning to somebody else's middle. Don't think just because everybody else has it all together that you should too. Start where you start. In the book of James, it also says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. How amazing would it be to sit down individually with every single person in this room and hear the story of how Jesus transformed their hearts? What an awesome day would that be? So go tell somebody. Go share that testimony. Go share your faith. Pray big prayers, knowing that that still, small voice is with you. What are you doing here today? Where are you supposed to be? What are you supposed to be putting your hands to? Will you make room for Him to do all that He can do in your heart. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.